the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the, let's see, today is Tuesday's edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing Dave King Engineering. Today we'll cover the day's news, including Trump pleading not guilty in his arraignment earlier today. and his campaign, they've raised about $8 million off of these recent events. We'll talk more about that and what's to come. But in the second hour, looking forward to a conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. He's the uh, pastor at Southwest Bible Church. He's also the host of Abide in the Word, the radio show formerly known as the Downtown Bible Class. We're going to talk about the passion of the Christ, uh, the way of the cross. So that's coming up in our second hour of today's program. But first, the top news story. Donald Trump pled not guilty to 34 felon counts, felony counts of falsified business records after an investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office into a hush money payment made to... Um, Stormy Daniels. Uh, Daniels claimed in the final days of the 2016 presidential election that she had previously had an affair with the, um, uh, well, he wasn't the president then, with Donald Trump. Trump's former fixer, Michael Cohen, paid Daniels $130,000 to keep quiet about her claims. The investigation centered on whether Trump falsified um, internal business records to conceal the uh, reimbursement uh, from uh, through Cohen, I should say, and whether or not these were legal expenses or hush money. That's sort of the long and short of it. But there are 34 counts in this uh, criminal indictment. Trump was arraigned in the uh, Manhattan court this afternoon after he surrendered it to authorities. The former president was booked by investigators at the courthouse in Manhattan where he had his fingerprints taken but did not have a mugshot taken, according to several reports. Heading to Lower Manhattan, the courthouse, Trump wrote in a post on his Truth Social platform ahead of his surrender just before 1.30 p.m., seems so surreal. Wow, they are going to arrest me. Can't believe this is happening in America. MAGA! Exclamation point. Well, after the proceedings, the former president is expected and did return to Mar-a-Lago, where he plans to address the public this evening. Video cameras were barred from the courtroom, but District Attorney Alvin Bragg uh, gave an address of the indictment in an afternoon press conference. However, he didn't actually enunciate what the crime was. And when asked specifically what laws were broken, he declined to respond. Well, acting New York Supreme Court Judge Juan Merchant on Monday evening rejected a request from several news outlets to allow the organizations to broadcast the proceedings. Trump's lawyers had urged the judge to reject the request, lest the courtroom turn into a circus-like atmosphere. The judge chose to allow five pool photographers to take photos at the start of the proceedings until such time as they are directed to vacate the jury box 
by court personnel. And that's precisely what they did. Meanwhile, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, he warned earlier in the week, um, would-be protesters that disorder and lawlessness over the indictment would not be tolerated. Control yourselves, he said. New York City is our home, not a playground for your misplaced anger. We are the safest, largest city in America because we respect the rule of law in New York City, he said. And although we have no specific threats, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is known to spread misinformation, is coming to town. While you in town be um, while you are in town, um, be on your best behavior. As always, we will not allow violence or vandalism of any kind. And if one of uh, is caught participating in any act of violence, they will be arrested and held accountable for um, their actions, no matter who you are. End quote. Well, NYPD Commissioner. Uh, Sewell, he told reporters that there has been no specific credible threats to the city at this time related to the Trump court appearance, and there were no um, acts of violence reported. As the mayor stated, there are no credible or specific threats to New York City at this time. New Yorkers may see an increased police presence in parts of the city and should anticipate intermittent road closures over the next few days, particularly in Manhattan. To avoid delays, I urge everyone to use mass transit when possible. Well, the former president has called the indictment political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history and warned this witch hunt will backfire massively on Joe Biden. Never before in our nation, and again, I'm quoting um, the former president, never before in our nation's history has this been done, Trump said on Thursday. The Democrats have cheated countless times over the decades, including spying on my campaign, but weaponizing our justice system to punish a political opponent who just so happens to be a president of the United States and by far the leading Republican candidate for president has never happened before. Well, Trump advisor Jason Miller said Monday that Trump's 2024 presidential campaign raised over $8 million in the four days since the indictment was announced. I thought Cal Thomas had an interesting piece on the subject of Trump and the subject of character and why it matters. Now, you might remember during the Clinton years, those on the right were very outspoken on how important character is. Well, Cal Thomas, he writes, leaving aside all the sometimes legitimate and sometimes illegitimate responses from defenders of the former president following his indictment by a New York grand jury, there is something that would have would have made all the difference for the 45th president had he focused on this um, history prior uh, priority rather than himself, excuse me, that something is character. Dictionary.com defines the word, the aggregate of features and traits that form the individual nature of some person or thing. There are those with good and bad character. People who demonstrate good character are generally trusted and thought highly of. Bad things are usually not said about them and any allegations are often disbelieved. When allegations are made against people with bad character, one tends to think any of them might be true. This is the case with Donald Trump. Even though Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg made a campaign promise to get Trump, and the case reportedly involves hush money uh, to a porn star and testimony by Trump's personal attorney who served time for facilitating those payments, it is Trump's character displayed in many ways and over many years that has brought him to this breaking point. One's character determines one's reputation, what others think of you. The late basketball coach John Wooden, who trained and motivated young, uh, young men to greatness, said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation, because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. The two go together, and one is inevitably 
to follow the other. Pauline Phillips, a.k.a. Abigail Van Buren, author of Dear Abby column, wrote, The best index to a person's character is how he treats people who can't do him any good and how he treats people who can't fight back. Must I argue that point when it comes to the former president? Someone uh, should have taught Trump this in school or at home. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Once again, coming up in the second hour, a conversation with Scott Gilchrist on the way to the cross. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. <clears throat> I was just quoting from a, an article written by Cal Thomas in this teachable moment. Whether or not you believe the charges brought against the former president are justified or not, there is the subject of character that tends to matter to us at more sometimes and less so at other times. Well, he continues, someone should have taught Trump this in school or at home. Character is not something that you buy. It's not a commodity that can be bartered for. It is not a quality that is suited only for the rich and the famous. Rather, character is built on the foundational commitment of love, honesty, and compassion for others. Ancient wisdom has tried to teach us the importance of character. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. That's wisdom for billionaires like Trump. Back in the 90s, Larry Flint, the publisher of pornographic magazines, was offering a million dollars to anyone who could find dirt on family values members of Congress and other well-known religious and conservative leaders who were something different in their private lives than what they professed to be in public. One day I ran into Flint at Fox Studios in New York. He told me he had done a background investigation on me. Really, I said. Yeah, he replied. We didn't find anything. While I am far from sinless, Flint didn't find the one sin he was looking for because it doesn't exist. Parents, scripture, and in those days, many schools thought character was important to drum into young people. Anne Frank said something similar in her World War II diary. Human greatness does not lie in wealth or power, but in character and goodness. Today, it seems virtually any form of behavior is to be tolerated unless it leads to someone's death. The moral guardrails have been removed and we are reaping the consequences. And there's more trouble coming. Again, not necessarily reflecting on whether or not you think the current trial, the indictment, the arraignment was justified, but that character is something of a protectant for those who value it. Well, Tuesday's race to elect the new Chicago mayor and fill a vacant Wisconsin Supreme Court seat could offer clues into how the electorate feels about issues like abortion, crime and education ahead of pivotal races in 2024. Well, over in Chicago, voters are going to be choosing between former Chicago Public Schools CEO Paul Vallis and Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson. Vallis finished first in the February race with 33 percent of the vote. Johnson notched a second place at 22 percent. Lori Lightfoot placed third, losing her reelection bid. Well, save for the uh, political affiliation, Vallis and Johnson are both Democrats. Their approach um, approaches differ uh, on public safety and fixing Chicago's public schools. They show that they are uh, two very different candidates. Vallis has campaigned as a tough-on-crime candidate who's the backing of the Fraternal Order of Police. He is also a school choice advocate who's been supportive of charter schools, whereas Johnson has talked about public safety from an uh, initiatives perspective rather than one largely focused on the role of police, such as creating an Office of Community Safety and has more consistently spoken about the issue of leaning into root causes around crime. He also advocated against charter schools and the idea of student-based budgeting, which relies on student enrollment. 
So that's one of the big uh, races that people will be following. And then in, uh, uh, in Wisconsin, meanwhile, voters across the state will choose between two candidates to replace the outgoing conservative justice on the state Supreme Court. Um, the consequential election that will determine the partisan tilt of the court, which it shouldn't, of course, if you're talking about a judge, but anyway, uh, for the uh, next two years. So the race is technically nonpartisan. Milwaukee County Circuit Court Judge uh, Janet um, Protaskowicz, or something very like that, and former state Supreme Court Justice Daniel Kelly, seen as the liberal and conservative candidates, uh, respectively, are vying for the open seat uh, after they uh, were the two top vote-getters in the initial February race. A contested 1849 abortion law that bans abortions with very limited exceptions is expected to wind its way in front of the state Supreme Court there. The high court could also uh, hear challenges to the state's election maps and even possibly 2024 election um, challenges. For Democrats, it's a party's uh, first big test ahead of the 2024 election over whether the party can sustain its momentum since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last summer, as Carolyn, um, as it has been uh, reported elsewhere. So these are two uh, big news stories, two elections that are taking place today, Chicago and Wisconsin, that will have significant impact. Finland, which uh, shares a uh, more than 800-mile-long border with Russia, joined the NATO alliance today, becoming the 31st member country. This was something of an insult to Russia that's threatening retaliatory measures. The country's uh, membership uh, in, the, uh, uh, in NATO uh, during a formal ceremony at NATO headquarters in um, Brussels took place on Tuesday. Ahead of the official ceremony, NATO Secretary General uh, said that it will be a good day for Finland's security and Nordic security and for NATO as a whole. By Finland uh, becoming a full-fledged member, we are removing the room for miscalculation in Moscow about NATO's readiness to protect Finland, and that makes Finland safer and stronger and all of us safer, he went on to say. He also told reporters there will be no NATO troops in Finland without the consent of the nation. Finland applied for NATO membership in May, months after Russia invaded Ukraine. Sweden also applied, though the application process has been delayed because of objections from NATO members Turkey and Hungary. Russian President Vladimir Putin has decried the expansion of NATO and threatened to take retaliatory measures in response to alleged security threats created by Finland's membership in the military alliance. Russia has said it will strengthen its forces near Finland if the U.S.-led security alliance sends any additional troops or equipment to the country. The Russian Foreign Ministry they said the country will be forced to take military, technical, and other retaliatory measures to counter the threats to our national security arising from Finland's accession to NATO. The Foreign Ministry claimed Finland's membership marks a fundamental change in the situation in Northern Europe, which had previously been one of the most stable regions in the world. That, of course, up until the invasion of Ukraine. Meanwhile, No Name 057, a pro-Russian hacker group, claimed responsibility for a denial-of-service attack against the website for Finland's parliament. The group said the attack was uh, retaliation for Finland's joining NATO, though its uh, claim has not been independently verified. 
Well, a judge who presided over Donald Trump's arraignment in a Manhattan courthouse this afternoon denied a request for several media outlets to allow cameras to cover the live courtroom proceedings. The New York Supreme Court judge Juan Merchant said the court would allow a limited number of videographers, photographers and radio journalists to be present, but denied the motion to allow photos or live video during the court session. However, five pool photographers were allowed to take pictures for several minutes before the hearing began. Committee assignments um, and um, other expulsions from the legislature could be the uh, uh, fate for some Tennessee House uh, members after they participated in storming the state capitol during a protest against guns following last week's school shooting. Tennessee House Republicans voted Monday to strip committee assignments from state uh, representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, as well as Gloria Johnson, according to local media. A potential expulsion for the three lawmakers could come later this week. Thousands of people in the Federal Bureau of Prisons systems who have been serving time at home due to the risks of COVID-19 may be able to remain under home confinement even after the Biden administration declares the COVID emergency is over, according to the Justice Department. The DOJ was set to publish a rule on Tuesday morning that says it's up to the Bureau of Prisons director to determine on a case-by-case basis whether home-confined federal prisoners can remain at home or whether they'll need to do the remainder of their time in federal prison. But the rule, signed by Attorney General Merrick Garland, says the BOP has the right to allow them to stay home under current law and says the Department of Justice agrees with Senate Democrats who say inmates should not be forced in mass to return to federal prisons after COVID. The rule could affect more than 3,400 inmates who were placed in home confinement after COVID arrived and leaves the Bureau of Prisons director with decisions on how to handle these prisoners once the COVID emergency officially ends. The clock might be ticking on TikTok. Time could be up soon for the Chinese-owned app as Democrats and Republicans on Capitol Hill express concerns that the platform could pose a threat to national security. However, more than two dozen members of Congress, all Democrats, are throwing their support behind the app. The lawmakers are all again, uh, active on TikTok and are defending their presence, saying they use the video app to uh, reach out to voters. I'm sensitive to the band and recognize some of the security implications, but there's no more robust and expeditious way to reach young people in the United States of America than TikTok, says one a representative, Dean Phillips of Minnesota, speaking to the Associated Press. Representative Phillips is in the minority, but not alone. Representative Jamal Bowman, a Democrat from New York who has more than 180,000 followers on the app, claims Republicans are waging war against TikTok because they're fear-mongering and after power. But, of course, he overlooks the fact that the majority of Democrats are also concerned. Lawmakers who are critical of TikTok believe they, uh, the issue isn't political but related to national security. They say TikTok's Chinese parent company, ByteDance, is required by Chinese law to make the app's data available to the Chinese Communist Party. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. <clears throat> Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Scott Gilchrist, pastor of Southwest Bible Church and host of Abide in the Word, the radio show formerly known as Downtown Bible Class. We'll talk about the, uh, the way of the cross that's coming up in the second hour of today's program. 
equal under the law, Trump's indictment puts him in the same company as Berlusconi, Netanyahu, and other world leaders. The mass shooter in Tennessee planned to attack for uh, planned the attack for months, according to Town Hall. The mass shooter Audrey Hale plotted the attack for months. Journals found in her car and home reveal the blueprints for the attack on Covenant School, a private Christian academy she had attended. Hale was biologically female but identified using male pronouns using two firearms described by the media as AR-15 style to commit this act of mass murder. Six people were killed, including three children. California Governor Gavin Newsom threatened Republicans who are hell-bent on gaining power and keeping it, end quote. Well, if you live in a red state, you better watch out. California Governor Gavin Newsom could be coming for your town as part of his national campaign for democracy or something. Well, you might see him uh, moseying around um, your neck of the woods if you have an effective state legislature and governor passing laws that protect children in the womb and from uh, mutilation, strengthen the education curriculum, take America's sovereignty seriously, among other excellent initiatives. Everything he's upset about, uh, he does. It's ultimately gaslighting in the video that he produced. Um, OPEC is cutting oil production by over one million barrels per day. The Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries made a surprise Sunday announcement that its oil-rich member states would reduce production by more than one million barrels of oil per day through the end of 2023. Essentially, overnight, the price of crude oil surged more than 6% following OPEC's announcement. And it's another blow for President Biden's attempt to keep gas prices low as inflation continues to rage and the busy summer travel season is likely to drive demand and prices higher again. It also makes it less likely that they will uh, replenish the um, oil reserve that was uh, that they drew from earlier in the year or last year. The uh, surprise announcement helped push up prices by $5 per barrel to above $85 per barrel. Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak said the Western bank, uh, banking crisis was one of the reasons behind the cut, as well as interference with market dynamics, a Russian expression to describe a Western price cap on Russian oil. Fears of a fresh banking crisis over the past month have led investors to sell out of uh, risk assets such as commodities with oil prices falling to nearly $70 per barrel from the near an all-time high of $139 in March of 2022. Speaker McCarthy will meet with the president of Taiwan on Wednesday. Speaker McCarthy is poised to meet with the uh, president, an historic event that comes amid warnings from China. The California Republicans' office shared details of the meeting in a release Monday morning. The release states that McCarthy will host a bipartisan meeting Uh, at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. That group will include Representative Pete Aguilar of California, who is a member of the Democratic leadership and the bipartisan leaders of the Select Committee on China. The Chinese Communist Party's propaganda arms whipped uh, whipped into action in recent days as uh, the uh, president from Taiwan made a stop in New York City on her way to Central America. Her first leg through the U.S. ended on Friday, and she's currently wrapping up a swing through Guatemala and Belize before heading, rather, to Los Angeles this week. The Country Music Awards featured a drag show and gun control activism. CMA has been assimilated. The annual Country Music Television Awards show Sunday night was infused with political messages from a 29-year-old singer 
Um, Ballerini uh, performed on stage with drag queens from a a reality TV show in an apparent rebuke of GOP-backed legislation. She also seemed to push gun control measures while invoking the recent school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee, perpetuated by a former student, a 28-year-old woman who identified as a male. A GOP-backed law in Tennessee would ban drag queen performances for children and in public spaces where they would be viewed by minors. The law was set to take effect at the beginning of April, but has been temporarily blocked by a federal judge. Trans star Dylan Mulvaney is partnering with Bud Light to celebrate the person's 365 Days of Girlhood. Trans TikTok star Mulvaney was announced as the latest spokesperson for Bud Light in a pair of videos that were uh, attacked on social media, the trans activist revealed on Saturday that the beer company sent packs of Bud Light featuring the influencer's face as a way to celebrate the 365 Days of Girlhood milestone Mulvaney recently reached. Well, the announcement was uh, met with backlash with Twitter users describing the ad campaign as another attempt to push gender propaganda. North Carolina Community College is planning to revise school policy after drag queens inappropriately touched a minor on campus. The North Carolina Community College is looking to revise the policy after coming under fire last week for a video showing a drag queen straddling a female student sitting in a chair during an LGBTQ plus pride event on campus. Critics say that... uh, Uh, The uh, community college, which offers two on-campus high school programs allowing students as young as 14 to enroll beginning in the ninth grade, poses larger concerns over minors being exposed to sexually explicit behavior. McDonald's is preparing for big layoffs. McDonald's is closing corporate offices this week as the company prepares to deliver layoff decisions as part of a broader restructuring plan. Employees of nearly a dozen offices across the country have been asked to work remotely through Wednesday while layoff announcements go out. In an email to workers last week, McDonald's requested that employees cancel all in-person meetings at company headquarters. The burger giant counts 150,000 employees among its corporate workforce and its non-franchised restaurants. More than half of these employees work outside the United States. The layoff comes as McDonald's embarks on a restructuring plan, accelerating the Arches 2.0, in which the company aims to open more restaurants in response to the increased demand. The company already has more than 38,000 restaurants in more than 100 countries. NASA announced the crew to circle the moon. Just the News reports that the National Aeronautics and Space Administration has announced that U.S. astronauts Christina Cook, Victor Glover, Reed Wiseman, and Canadian astronaut Jeremy Hansen will become the first individuals to circle the moon in nearly 50 years as NASA plans to return to Earth's sole natural satellite. The Artemis mission uh, aims to create humanity's first long-term presence on the moon. The Supreme Court's 2A muscle following the U.S. Supreme Court decision last summer and New York State uh, Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, a ruling that overturned New York's law severely limiting the right of citizens to carry firearms. Several Democrat-controlled states have found their gun control agenda significantly hampered. In Bruin, precedent has been established that a court must judge whether a law restricting firearms comports with the framers' intention for the Second Amendment. In other words, SCOTUS has effectively elevated uh, the Second Amendment once again to the standard by which all firearms laws must be judged. The link between $90,000 tuition and student loans? How have government-backed student loans negatively impacted students? Well, 
These uh, low-interest student loans have proven to jack up tuition costs. Nowhere is this reality more evident than in the Ivy League schools, as annual tuitions are now as high as $90,000, which puts the uh, cost for gaining a four-year degree well into $300,000. As uh, American Enterprise Institute economist Beth Eckers uh, observes, at some point, that math stops working out. We get to a place where these uh, degrees are just no longer worth it. And this is exactly why Joe Biden is pushing his student loan cancellation program, though it will only send tuition costs higher with the federal government sending taxpayer dollars to bail out these increasingly overpriced educational institutions. Well, Senator Fetterman is out. The Pennsylvania Democrat senator uh, finally emerged from his stint at Walter Reed after he uh, checked himself in over a month ago with severe depression. Now back in Pennsylvania, Fetterman sat down for an interview with CBS, which was clearly intended to show that he's back and can do the job of being a senator. However, it was evident that Fetterman is still suffering ramifications from the stroke that he had while on the campaign trail last year. CBS's Jane Pauley not only glossed over Fetterman's challenges, uh, his health situation, but went over the top by insinuating that he could run for president someday. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist from Southwest Bible Church. He's also the host of Abide in the Word radio show, formerly known as Downtown Bible Class. We'll talk about the way of the cross during this holy week. Well, a black Chicago conservative says uh, uh, that... African-Americans should ditch Democrats. Devin R. Jones is a black Navy veteran and native of South Chicago, a majority black Democrat stronghold where back in 2000 he founded the Southside Republicans. His organization motto is fix where we live. Jones makes clear that uh, the other party and their policies are at fault for why things are as bad as they are for blacks living in South Chicago. We haven't had Republicans running this area for 100 years, he observed. Jones wants black residents to explore what Republicans have to offer, especially when it comes to limited government, hence his organization's motto. Hopefully Jones and others like him will see success in convincing more folks that they need to be broader minded about their affiliation. We'll see what happens. We'll follow that story as it develops. In the Chicago mayor's race runoff, voters go to the polls in a race that highlights the Democrats divide. And Wisconsin voters head to the polls to decide the balance of the state Supreme Court. AOC is facing questions over a mystery Twitter account and the Nashville police force who shot the Christian school assailant are a Marine vet and a precision policeman. I repent. So says Christian author Rosario Butterfield as she stopped using transgender pronouns and calls others to do the same. McDonald's will temporarily close its U.S. corporate offices this week as it plans to lay off an undisclosed number of workers as part of a larger restructuring effort, per the Wall Street Journal. Small business bankruptcies have reached a worrisome level as the president touts rising business formation. Finland officially became the member of NATO, doubling the military alliance's border with Russia. And Finland swung right, ousting progressive Prime Minister Sanna Marin in the recent election. Election, rather. On this day in history, 1841, President William Henry Harrison dies of pneumonia one month after his inauguration, becoming the first U.S. chief executive to die in office. 1850, the city of Los Angeles is incorporated. 1917, the U.S. Senate votes 82 to 6 in favor of declaring war against Germany. The House would follow suit two days later by a vote of 373 to 50. 
1945, during World War II, U.S. forces liberate the Nazi concentration camp Ordorf in Germany. Hungary is liberated by Soviet forces. They clear out the remaining German troops. 1949, 12 nations, including the United States, signed the North Atlantic Treaty in Washington, D.C. 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. is shot and killed while standing on a balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. 1975, Microsoft is founded by Bill Gates and Paul Allen in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 1983, the space shuttle Challenger rolls into uh, orbit on its maiden voyage. And 1988, the Arizona Senate convicts Governor Evan Meacham of two charges of official misconduct and removes him from office. Meacham becomes the first U.S. governor to be impeached and removed from office in nearly six decades. 1991, Senator John Hines, a Republican from Pennsylvania, and six other people, including two children, are killed when a helicopter collided with his plane over a schoolyard in Marion, Pennsylvania. 2018, saying the situation had reached a point of crisis, President Trump signs a proclamation directing the deployment of the National Guard to the U.S.-Mexico border to fight illegal immigration. 2018, Facebook reveals that tens of millions more people might have been exposed in a privacy scandal involving Cambridge Analytica, a Trump-affiliated data mining firm. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, after the United States says it would impose 25 percent tariffs on $50 billion of imports from China, Beijing quickly retaliates by listing $50 billion of products it could hit with its own 25 percent tariffs. Well, a transgender pastor and Lutheran church compared the treatment of Nashville, uh, the Nashville truder, uh, shooter rather, and transgender community to Jesus being crucified. And so goes the rhetoric around events that took place earlier last week and um, the subject of sex and gender. Well, the transgender shooting suspect accused of killing three young children and three adults at a Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee, on the 27th of March, reportedly hoarded a suicide note, weapons and ammunition at home, according to a report released today. The Metropolitan Nashville Police Department recently released a list of 47 items found by officers who conducted a search warrant of her uh, home she shared with her parents. Those items reportedly included several journals, a shotgun, cell phones and laptops, as well as uh, folders and journals with notes on firearms courses and school shootings. According to the outlet, police said officers also found a school photo and five yearbooks from the Covenant School. The Nashville police uh, said they are seeking a copy of the list, but um, or outlets are seeking a copy of the list from law enforcement. Uh, authorities say that Tail had been under a doctor's care for an undisclosed emotional disorder and hid weapons in her family's home, unbeknownst to the suspect's parents. Law enforcement has also said that uh, Hale uh, legally purchased the seven weapons from five local stores and later sold one of the firearms. Three of those were used in the shooting. The ongoing investigation into the March 27th murders of six persons inside the Covenant School continues to show from all information currently available that the shooter acted totally alone, according to the Metropolitan Nashville Police Department. In an update on Monday, in the collective writings by Hale found in her vehicle in the school parking lot, 
and others later found in the bedroom of her home. She documented in journals her planning over a period of months to commit mass murder at the Covenant School. Police said the writings remained under careful review by the MNPD and the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit based in Quantico, Virginia. The motive for Hale's actions has not been established and remains under investigation by the Homicide Unit uh, in collaboration with the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit. It is uh, known that Hale considered the actions of other mass um, murderers, the press release said. The investigation uh, shows that Hale fired a total of 152 rounds uh, from the time she shot her way into the school, breaking the glass door that was locked and prevented her uh, entry until she was killed by police. Two officers fired on Hale. Her family, who had sent her to that Christian school, was unaware that she owned uh, those weapons, uh, her fixation on uh, mass murders and so on. And I grieve for and pray for those uh, those parents and any siblings she might have. Coming up in our next uh, hour, I'm looking forward to a conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist during this this Holy Week. He is the pastor of Southwest Bible Church and the speaker and host of Abide in the Word. It's the radio show formerly known as Downtown Bible Class here on KPDQ. We're going to talk about the way of the cross and sort of trace the uh, the steps of uh, Jesus and what that means to us today, an event that took place over 2,000 years ago that is as poignant today as it was in the time that these events took place. So that's coming up with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. I hope you'll stay with us. All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Looking forward to a conversation with the pastor of Southwest Bible Church, Scott Gilchrist, and also the host of Abide in the Word Radio. It's formerly known as Downtown Bible Class. We'll talk a bit about that before we let him go as well. Well, at this season, Christians remember the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on Good Friday and his rising from death on Easter morning. The resurrection is the central, uh, the centerpiece of Christianity. And as we reflect on the way to and from the empty tomb, uh, we remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It was the fusion of perfect love and perfect justice, vanquishing evil. We have no means to make restitution for our sins, no way to repay the negative sum of our accumulated sins. Only God himself could rectify the moral debt on our behalf in a sacrificial act that is simultaneously purely loving and purely just. It is an amazing uh, event that uh, those of us who have put our trust in Christ have benefited by. Joining us to talk about these events is Scott Gilchrist, again, pastor of Southwest Bible Church and the teacher of uh, Abide in the Word Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's great to be with you, Georgine. Thanks for having me. I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll say I'm middle-aged, although I flatter myself. I'm actually past that unless I intend to live no, for 200 you can, years. You can still say that. Can I say that? I think you, yeah, you can say middle-aged. I have that on a pastor's authority. I'm going with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, I've been around, I've been a believer for many, many years, and I never want to lose my sense of wonder for what Christ has done for us and what we reflect on this season. It would be easy for it to become routine, to become passe. And while I embrace all of the truth surrounding those events, to lose the sense of wonder and gratitude for what Christ has done. So I appreciate your joining us today to help us uh, remember those events and to reflect on them in a way that is honoring to God and edifying uh, to his church. 
Well, I, you know, when people ask me how they can pray for me, I love it when they do because I need prayer. And uh, I used to be a little bit, how would it, you know, I wouldn't know quite what to say, but for the last oh, 25 years, I think, I answer without hesitation, uh, pray that I will not leave my first love. Mm-hmm. And when you say, I, I don't want to get over it, yes. I have a friend that prays that regularly. And God, by his grace, I think the longer we walk with the Lord, the more overwhelmed we are by what he did for us. And so uh, it's it's great to be able to talk about the cross and the resurrection this week and every week, but particularly just to talk with you today about about the way of the cross and the great victory over death that Jesus Christ accomplished. Amen. I'm reminded of uh, his prayer in the garden. It was an agonizing pray. Um, and he, he said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I think there have been mm. moments in my life where I've had that same sentiment, but what Jesus was facing far outweighs anything that any of us have or ever will face. Can you talk a little bit about um, his words? It acknowledges that he understood what was coming, uh, but he also understood that he had a mission to accomplish that he willingly came to fulfill. Talk a little bit about that phrase in the prayer. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, to me, that that particular scene is uh, the holiest of ground. It's just amazing that God the Son, who purposed from all eternity to come and give his life a ransom, uh, became flesh, and as a perfect man, uh, when he realized the the horror of it, you know, if it's possible, permit this cup to pass from me. Uh, but he drank it down to the dregs uh, because he said, as you quoted not my will, but yours. What a what an example for us in life to submit ourselves to the will of the Father. And Jesus said, I came to do his will. I came to speak his words. The things I speak are not my words. They're his words. The things I do are not what I want to do. I do what he wants me to do. And of course, uh, I would want your listeners to understand there's no ever any tension between the Father and the Son in their perfections. Mm-hmm. They have the same heart and will in a mystery that we can't fully understand, the triunity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. But yet, this one who became flesh for us, when he faced the awful horror of uh, bearing our sins in his body on the cross, and we know and that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became forsaken of God so that we will never be forsaken. So, you know, it is an amazing uh, scene. And I always uh, feel like, well, I, I should be careful even to just take off my shoes, so to speak, and worship this one who was willing to lay his life down for me. No, I'm reminded He's the only man. He's the only man really in history who was born to die. He mm-hmm. came to give his life a ransom for many. I'm reminded in his words that um you know, take this cup he was fully man, he was fully God. He didn't sort of float through these events as uh, as a, a God who 
didn't fully experience what happened, but he he came and gave himself to the full. And I'm, I'm reminded that he made the ultimate sacrifice in the same way that I would in terms of my flesh and experiencing what was to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is It is just uh, a marvel and one that, that as we started at the top of the hour, just saying we don't ever want to get over it. And in fact, I think the longer one spends time with him and understands his grandeur, his eternal glory that he always shared with the Father, the better we get to know him, the the more in awe we are that he did that for us. He did it for me, the song says. He did it for me. And uh, that's I, I was just meditating this, this morning on Thomas's uh, proclamation, my Lord and my God, and how beautiful it is to be able to say that to the one who spoke the universe into existence. Mm-hmm. And it's because of his heart for us that he would lay his life down for the sheep. Yeah. The, uh, the scene continues in which um, Jesus faces the betrayal and arrest and the denial. The disciples that he had just spent time with around the, the supper table where he, he passed the cup, the men that he had uh, taught and lived with and trained and loved, uh, ministered to for uh, those uh, several years, um, he would be betrayed by one of them. He would face arrest and he would be denied by another. They would all scatter and leave him. This has to have been extremely painful for him. He wasn't surprised by it because he knows human nature, but this has to have been another painful experience leading to the cross. Yeah. His, his incarnation that he, uh, I'm, I marvel that anything you and I experience today, he knows he's Mm -hmm. a sympathetic high priest. And I think human betrayal is one of the hardest things that, uh, people face the deep pain of of being betrayed and our savior knows all about that and he uh, he will be with you in the midst of that kind of pain uh not as a distant uh, detached one but as a personal savior who loves you and knows what you're going through so that we we deeply love him and and worship him because of that and and just about every other aspect of it to be uh I was reading the other day when he when he was laughed at they just laughed him to scorn and uh he was ridiculed he was uh, abused and this world is full of that kind of thing and our god he knows about that and of course as you say it, it culminated in the the worst event from from man's side uh, that we crucified him, the Lord of glory. Mm. We're talking uh, with Pastor Scott Gilchrist from Southwest Bible Church and the host of Abide in the Word radio show, formerly known Downtown Bible Class. We'll continue our conversation on the way of the cross when we return. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. He's the teacher of Abide in the Word radio show, formerly known as Downtown Bible Class. We're talking about the way of the cross. Jesus continued on his quest from uh, the betrayal, the arrest, and the denial by his disciple to the mocking and the, the trial that was to come. 
Um, The men who held Jesus mocked him. They beat him. They blindfolded him. They struck him on the face. They asked him, saying, prophesy and, and much, much more. This humiliation was part of the road to the cross that he endured uh, for our sake, being misunderstood, having at his disposal means by which he could have just simply annihilated those who were who were um, harassing him. But he chose instead to walk in obedience and to fulfill the purpose from w- for which he came. It's an amazing, an amazing uh, summary you just gave of 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 what he did and uh, the great victory that lay ahead. It says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he Mm -hmm. endured the cross, despising the shame. And uh, I I was thinking about it. I was with a group of men early this morning uh, and we talked about it. And I said, you know, I just don't have the capability, I don't think, to preach on Good Friday and leave leave it there. I just I just have to go on because the cross is not merely a martyrdom or a sadness. I know that mm-hmm. we need to take a hard look at what he did, but I I just about always uh, find myself moving ahead to the reason he did it and the great victory he won. So I can't separate Good Friday from Easter. And I love that we we get to talk about the resurrection as the culmination of the great victory that he won. Yeah, one would only endure everything that he did if there was a reward at the end that far exceeded the the pain and agony of having gone through it. I I think it's significant, and we sometimes miss it, I think, because in our culture we don't uh, fully understand it but he took the place of the condemned and in in that culture Mm -hmm. at that time and for that matter any time this was really significant uh certainly the scripture told us what to expect but to take the place of the condemned really reinforces Mm -hmm. the purpose for which he came and the circumstances that were required for him to satisfy what god required for for justice Mm. we were helpless to do anything about our guilt uh, we'd sinned against God, and the payment for sin, the day you eat of that tree, the first time God announced it, he said, the, the, the wages of sin is death, and the day you eat of that tree, you will die. And so we were spiritually dead, and we could do nothing about our condition, and he saw that great need and rescued us from it. And as you said, he became sin, the Bible says. I wouldn't say that if if the Bible didn't say it. Uh, I would almost feel blasphemous mm-hmm. uh, to to just say that on my own account. But the reality of evil is so uh, thorough that when my sin was placed on the sinless one, the one who'd had unbroken fellowship with his father from all eternity, why well, he became an accursed thing. The Scripture says he became a curse. He became sin, Second Corinthians five twenty one, and uh, we—I don't think we'll ever plumb the depths of that, but it drives us to worship Him and love Him, and uh, rejoice that death could not hold Him, and that He conquered death and rose again. The scriptures say in Isaiah fifty three seven that He was uh, oppressed and He was afflicted, yet opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. And then in First mm. Peter, the first chapter, 
and you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was the Passover lamb. And while in Jewish culture that was fully understood, at least the Passover was understood, um, can you talk a bit about the significance of uh, Jesus' crucifixion, the timing of it, the Passover, the sacrificial lamb, and how what he did for us was satisfactory to God, his holiness, uh, his love, and his demand for justice. Yeah, boy, that, that that is an amazing statement that is made actually in 1 Corinthians. He says, Christ is our Passover mm-hmm. lamb. And in the Jewish history, why God brought the plagues upon Egypt in order to redeem his people out of Egypt, and uh, the final plague, the final judgment on the sin of Egypt and uh, Pharaoh was that uh, the the killing of the firstborn. And God protected Israel in those plagues uh, and made a, di- a distinction between his people and those who were under judgment. And that final plague, he had them slaughter a, a an unblemished lamb. And uh, they Put, were to put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts and over the the header, we would say, of the door. And then when the angel came through, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. And so the Israelites were protected by the blood. Now, the New Testament makes it very clear that none of those Old Testament sacrifices, whether it be the Passover itself or any of the other hundreds, thousands of sacrifices, the blood of animals could never take away sin. But they were vivid pictures of the fact that God was going to send his son. And so uh, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. And then when Christ came, he sent a messenger ahead to awake the nation, get ready, he's coming. And John the Baptist uh, had the nation's whole attention. They came out. They were starting to think he was the Messiah. And he said, no, I'm not fit to to wash his feet. Uh, I just, uh, but I'm here to tell you that he is coming. And then when he saw Jesus, he pointed at him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as you pointed out, uh, Jesus actually uh, laid his life down for us on the Passover. Uh, and it's, an, it's a marvel. And the, the intricacy of God's word pointing us to Christ and then fulfilling all, all of our deepest needs in his son, the Lamb of God. Why, no wonder we call it the gospel and no wonder he told us, announce this, proclaim this, and enjoy this. And we should every day of the year uh, do everything we can to to point people to this Jesus. And I would say to your listeners today, if you don't know him, uh, you, you need to look to him and see what he did for you personally when he became your Passover lamb. So that when God sees the blood, he'll pass over your sin because it's been judged on another. Uh, My sin uh, was paid for, paid in full, so that that Passover lamb could cry out and did cry out. Uh, 
it is finished. Mm. It's canceled out. The debt is gone. And I, I go free. I, I marvel at it. I just, as you're reminding us of, of those details, I'm just so moved to consider what Christ did for me um, mm. <laughs> at such a tremendous cost. Uh, it's, it tells us something about our value to God that he would go to such great lengths to redeem us and what a privilege it is to be, to be given the opportunity to be reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ, to walk with him, to know him, to receive his spirit, to know that Jesus is interceding for those who put their trust in him at the right hand of the father and prepare a place for, I just am overwhelmed by the benefits we derived because of his faithful sacrifice on our behalf. Yeah. To be, the New Testament uses the phrase in Christ, to be in Christ. When when a person puts their faith in him, why the Holy Spirit places us in Christ so that God sees us in him. And we, we there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's full and complete forgiveness. Uh, we have peace with God. Sometimes I like to just stop and meditate on all the things that are true of me because of the cross. And it's a good thing to do, to stop and just uh, listen to what the Scripture says about the cross. He made peace through the blood of his cross, Colossians 1, 20. And he reconciled us to himself so that we're no longer enemies. We're his children. We can say, Dad, uh, when when the Holy Spirit uh, moves on our hearts, we can say, the Bible says, Abba, Father. And that would be like like a child saying, Dad or Papa. It's just that's an intimacy that we have that we don't, uh, we don't, I don't think we fully appreciate it, but I, I enjoy it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Pastor Scott Gilchrist of Southwest Bible Church and the host of Abide in the Word radio show here on KPDQ, formerly the Downtown Bible Class. We'll continue our conversation in a moment, but we need to take a quick break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with Scott Gilchrist, pastor of Southwest Bible Church and teacher of Abide in the Word radio show, formerly known as Downtown Bible Class. We were talking before the break about the cross, and the cross, of course, um, would mean far less if it were not for the resurrection. And I appreciated you mentioned earlier, it's hard to decouple them because without the one, uh, you can't enjoy the other. Um, Jesus spent time on the, the cross. He spent time in the grave, but then there was the resurrection. Can you talk about that interim? There's a lot of uh, discussion about what happened during that period. Um, the shroud of Turin, whether or not he ascended or descended into hell. Uh, is it important that we know what happened during those three days when Jesus was taken down from the cross? Well, I'd answer simply, I don't think so. Uh, or, or he would have told us more clearly than he did. Uh, we often quote uh, the creed that says uh, he descended into hell, but really that's the one phrase in the creed that I can't find a biblical basis for. Uh, there's bits and scraps that people use to, to teach that, but I don't really think it is that important to know what happened. We know what happened on the cross and we know that he rose the third day, and the Bible pretty much leaves it there. Um, 
And so I would just say, boy, what we've already talked about, what happened on the mm-hmm. cross is is clearly revealed. He became a curse for us. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin. And he paid for our sin. He paid the penalty of sin and uh, took the guilt and the shame and the defilement. And it was nailed to the cross. In Colossians 2, he, he, he uses that metaphor, the debt that we could never pay. It's like a, a long bill that just is overwhelming. And there was no way we could pay that debt. He he nailed it to the cross. It's canceled. And so that's the one side of the truth. And the second part is, as you said, we can't decouple it. And every time he predicted his death, he would speak that he would rise again. And he then did. And they were blown away. They were shocked. Uh, you know, on the very the very first uh, day of the week, the the first we would say the first Easter in John 20. Uh, on that very day, that night, the the disciples were fearful, and I can only imagine how devastated they were. They'd seen their hopes dashed. Mm-hmm. The Savior that they had trusted and been untrustworthy, as you pointed out, they had they had. Uh, you know, denied him and and fled when he was taken, but but yet they saw him die. They saw him put in a grave, and they were no doubt just devastated. And so they were hiding behind doors, closed doors, with fear. And I think, boy, how many people today uh, are just captured by fear? And that's where the disciples were. They were in fear of the Jews, and Jesus came and stood in their midst, I read, and the first words out of his mouth, peace be with you. And then the joy they experienced, they rejoiced, and they began to, he began to unfold for them what, what, what was accomplished. The, the, the resurrection of Christ is the great proof that God was satisfied, that my sins have been paid for. It's not merely that God said so. He actually raised his son from the dead. The one who bore my sins conquered them and is alive. And so they began to rejoice greatly. We who have met him in the 20th or 21st century, we we rejoice greatly and we will rejoice greatly throughout eternity. So the resurrection, uh, as you rightly said, we can't separate the two. And Jesus would often state it just that bluntly. He said, I'm going to be crucified. They're going to spit on me. They're going to strike me and they will crucify me. And on the third day, I will rise again. And then he did. Hmm. And the women came to the tomb and thinking, I'm sure, well, they were told they were coming to anoint his body and they brought spices and things. And uh, the angel said, why, why are you looking for the living one among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And I, when I, when I, and I often do officiate at a graveside of people who've known the Lord. Uh, it gives such comfort today to be able to say, your mother, your husband, your little girl that died in an untimely way, uh, they're not here. They're risen because Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. 
So I think uh, your question, I would answer it that way, that that what took place at the cross and what took place at the resurrection is where the Bible spends its time. Yeah. I think for many of us, we, we question, why was such a terrible price necessary for my salvation, for my redemption? What does it tell us about the the nature of God and his holiness that would require uh, such a dramatic sacrifice in order that my sins that could not have been atoned for by my works um, was required for me to have the relationship that I now enjoy. Yeah, that's so true. And the Bible doesn't really uh, explain it in the sense of, of, um, oh, how would I put it? The Bible just states it from the very beginning that sin separates us from God, that God's holiness is so real that he cannot have sin in his presence. And he desires to have an intimate relationship with us for all eternity. And so he provided a way that you and I can be cleansed. And it was the most costly way. Uh, And that makes us marvel at his love for us all the more because he didn't just say, well, I'll change the rules. He wouldn't be righteous if he did that. He, he didn't say, well, uh, here, I'll give you some things to work off your sin. There was no way we could work off our sins. Some people, many people really think of the Bible as kind of an instruction manual and that God gave us and you, you do your best. I talked to a gal uh, two, two days ago. We were in a coffee shop and she saw on the TV screen the, the uh, just the, the ugliness of the news. And she said, wow, this world. And I said to her, you know, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And she looked at me and uh, she said, I'm so glad you said that. And we got to talk together there over getting our coffee about how good it is to be delivered out of this present evil age and look forward to a home where righteousness dwells, where there will not be the sin and the pain and the addictions and the betrayals and the estrangements and all the other things that just plague life here on earth. Uh, He came to set us free from all that. I'm so grateful that he did. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk about some of the words Jesus uh, said during his public ministry about how we are to take up our cross and follow him, what that means in, in terms of our relationship to him and our response to the tremendous gift that he has given us. Uh, the gift of salvation. We're li- we're uh, you're listening, I should say, to the Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Scott Gilchrist, pastor of Southwest Bible Church and teacher of the Abide in the Word radio show, right here on KPDQ, formerly known as the Downtown. Bible class. Well, what happened after the resurrection swept over the world in a way that uh, produced vast uh, transformation? Uh, Jesus uh, appeared to his disciples. He spoke to them. He taught them and explained many of the things that they hadn't understood up to that point. Uh, and then he ascended into uh, into heaven. I'm reminded of what he spoke about in his earthly ministry, as recorded in both Mark and Matthew. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. What's an appropriate response 
to the resurrected Lord who has purchased for us our salvation, who has reconciled us to God, who intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father and has gone to prepare a place for us, sent us the comforter so that we would uh, be taught and understand what the word teaches. What's our appropriate response since our works don't earn our salvation? Well, I think you you, uh, said it well when you said, what did he say when he was here? And he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Uh, we, we begin, I think, where Thomas began, my Lord and my God. And by confessing him as our Lord and God, why then he calls the shots in our lives. And sometimes people say, well, what does it mean to deny yourself? Well, uh, and take up your cross daily. Well, his his life is our pattern. He gave himself for us, and we're to follow him. And he follows that right up. He says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And I've puzzled over that. Uh, and years ago, I remembered tracking that verse down throughout the the gospel accounts and at least on five different occasions Jesus said that and I I tend to think that he said it more than that probably because he was constantly repeating these great truths and so it kind of ties back to what where we started today in Gethsemane because in John 12 he said that he says he who loves his life loses it. In other words, uh, many people today, when you tell them about Jesus, they say, well, I, I like my life. I don't want him to come and mess it up. I, I don't want it changed. And then many others, uh, when they hear the good news, say, oh, I, I need that. My life is a mess. I'm a sinner. And they cry out to him. So if you if you love your life, you'll lose it. You'll hang on to what you have. And sadly, many, many people, the broad road is full of people hanging on to their life as it is. And they say, well, I'll improve it myself or whatever. But he who loses his life keeps it to eternal life. And then he said in John 12, if, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled because he was thinking about his own situation, that he was going to lay his life down. He had just said, the hour has come. And so even as he told us to follow him, he said, now my soul has become troubled as he contemplated uh, the awful nature of what the cross meant. And he said, what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. I'm reading John 12, 27. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And I think that's a pattern for us. Uh, We don't say anymore as Christians, uh, we shouldn't say, I put it that way. (laughs) Sometimes we do, but we shouldn't say. Uh, What do I want to do today? Or what do I want to do in my retirement? Or what kind of career do I want? Oh, yes, those are secondary questions. But ultimately, we ask, what does he want for my life today, in my career, in my family? 
what do you want, Lord? And that's why we go to the Bible daily and get instruction. We don't do that just to, to score some brownie points in a religious kind of a way. We actually go to his word to get guidance, and we follow him in that. And so he said, what should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, I came to do your will, Father. And he said, glorify your name. I think that's a great prayer for every Christian on a daily basis. Lord, use me today to magnify you, to glorify you, to help people see who you really are. And, of course, in that case, there was a voice out of heaven. There came, therefore, a voice out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. It's one of the most remarkable scenes in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus is our pattern. He didn't come to accomplish his own will. He came to accomplish the will of his Father, God. And that is the ultimate story of the Scripture and the story of history, that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him could have life and wouldn't perish, but would have his kind of life, eternal life, life the way it was meant to be lived. He called it abundant life, mm-hmm. not just existence, not just trying to get happy or uh, find new thrills. No, the kind of deep-seated life that comes from knowing him and relating to him in peace instead of hostility Uh, forgiven instead of guilty, clean instead of defiled. These are all words that come right out of the cross and what God did for us at the cross. And, And I often point out that when I say cross, I mean his death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible uh, doesn't ever decouple these. Mm -hmm. And so when Paul said, I, I, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which I was crucified to the world and the world to me. He's saying the only thing I want to live for, the only thing I want to boast in is what he did on my behalf. Amen. It's difficult for me to decouple his resurrection and ascension from his coming again. My mother is 92 years old. She lives with my husband and me. And every night she and I will read the scriptures. We'll talk about uh, life and we'll recall what Christ has done for us and what we look ahead to, what we're looking forward to and the promises that he has made. Uh, And we long for his appearing. Uh, When we think about all that that represents, that he has gone to prepare a place for us, Uh, Jesus is coming again. And He's going to finish the work that he uh, b- that he began in us. He's going to finish the work of of creation in which in which he's going to put things to right. And we look forward to that day. Can you talk a, a little bit about that in light of this season? Oh, I'll tell you, I'm glad you bring it up. He came. He's coming. Hmm. The Old Testament just reverberates that I'm going to send him. He's coming. And the New Testament reverberates. He's coming back. And actually, both Testaments point to his return. The prophets of old talked about when he would reign on earth, and there would be peace on earth. 
And sometimes we, uh, at Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that joy to the world, the Lord has come. But when you analyze the Christmas songs, uh, they're based right out of Scripture, but they don't merely speak of the fact that he came to die, if I can use that word merely, uh, his first coming that he died and rose again, and he's coming back. So God gives us reminders every page of the Bible. And every time we gather and break bread, he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me until I come, until I come. And so I I just, I know what you're saying when you and your mother pray uh, daily, oh Lord, come, come quickly. The Book of Corinthians closes by saying, Maranatha, Maranatha, come, O Lord, come. And that is the heartbeat of of believers. We say, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And you get to the last page of the Bible, and that's how it closes. We don't look forward to just an endless recycling of history repeating itself. We look forward to a culmination when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The whole universe will recognize who he is. And we who have seen who he is today, we will rejoice and be glad. And other people don't even like to hear about it because it makes them shudder, rightfully so. Uh, but every knee will bow and every tongue will confess of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's no question today in heaven who Jesus is. That's right. And there's no question in hell who Jesus is. The only place there's any question is here on earth. And one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue will be forced to confess that he is Lord. And what a day of joy that will be for his children. Yes, I long for that day. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Pastor Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Always appreciate it. Great to visit with you, Georgine. God bless and happy Easter. Okay. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We're out of time. I want to thank uh, Dave King for engineering, James Blend for producing, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.